Thank you for tuning in to this message from Kingdom Airs International, headquarters located in Flagstaff, Arizona. Um, so this, I wanted to take a step back and, and as we've walked through this night season, and obviously we all recognize it's been intense, like very intense, and so... <laughs> Just want everybody to like take a deep breath, right? Like, this is the proper way to take a deep breath when you're overwhelmed. Seriously, <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> like, like slow in, really like move it, like just. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like <gasps> it's good. It's good to breathe through intense situations because it almost it almost could feel like fight or flight you know and that's probably a really good um, description of exactly what it is we're doing because we're basically if you think about it I don't know if people would would say this and agree with it if they hear themselves say it but I think a lot of people walk in a manner according to the the thought or the statement that 2,000 years of Christianity can't be wrong because it's gone on for 2,000 years, right? We've come this far. How could anything be wrong with it? And if you think about that, it really doesn't make any sense because lots of things last for a long time, but it doesn't mean they're all good, right? Slavery, right? I mean, there are institutions that last hundreds of years, if not thousands of years, and it doesn't mean that they're good just because they've lasted a long time. And I think many people, I would hope, wouldn't agree with that if they said it themselves, but a lot of people actually kind of walk that way, even though they're not necessarily thinking that. And so this night season started off with the mother of the house saying, we're going to address the biggest lie that we've been told in Christianity, and we've looked at history, we've looked at theology, we've kind of systematically traced our way back and addressed things as we've come across them. And it's good to just take a deep breath because for, for many of us, if not all of us, we have really questioned things that most people wouldn't be really willing to question because you grew up with it. Uh, It's been passed down from generations, and to challenge something or to even question something will oftentimes provoke or stir things up in the spirit, right? And so what I wanted to add to that and tell you guys is that, okay, we're going to take a step back. We've been in the nitty-gritty. We've looked at Matthew 5. We've looked at Acts 15. We've looked at some of Apostle Paul, like barely scratched the surface. Um, to be able to really like take a step back and recalibrate from where where we started. Of we're we're gonna say we don't know. We're gonna be willing to say we may not know everything, right? Which is which is obvious. But sometimes you have to stop and think out loud and say, okay, maybe I don't know everything about my faith that I profess to walk out. And we just need to take a step back and just kind of recalibrate. Okay. Um, 
I want I want to give you guys the benefit of where we where we are coming from, mom and I, where the mother and the father from the place of a mother and a father, where we're coming from when we relay a message or we come with an intensity or a passion of what this means, this walk that we're going through. When we are teaching things or we're walking down a narrow path and we're calling or expecting or inviting you guys to follow, a lot of what we're looking at is what you're going to encounter. We know that everybody sitting here represents an extension, a sphere of influence, a household, a legacy. There's a generational impact represented for each and every individual here, right? Backwards and forwards, right? It's not just the legacy that you're leaving, but it's also your legacy of, of where you came from. And sometimes you're having to confront that as well, right? In the spirit. And so I just want you guys to know that when we come with these messages, what we have in mind is everything that you represent when you come in here and you take a seat in here. It's not just Noel. It's not just Diana. It's not just Marvin. But there's a whole generational legacy attached to everybody sitting here. And we have that in mind. I can, I can, pretty sure I can say that of all the roles that we carry in life, the ones that we take the most seriously is the role of fathering and mothering. Like, not healthcare, not law enforcement, not, um, you know, whatever it may be. Friendship, whatever. The different roles that we have or spheres of influence that we have, the ones that we take the most seriously is fathering and mothering. And like we've been talking about, it's not just about doing what's right in terms of obedience, but it's about teaching obedience to the next generation, right? So I know that my wife and I, when we encounter the father and we have to be, um, when we have to be accountable and answer for how we lived our life, he's going to hold us to a higher account because of what we're teaching, right? Yeah. And we know that in raising children up in the way they should go, that's related to raising children up and teaching them to obey the commands of the Father. Yeah. That's the way you should go. And we know what comes with that because it was funny. I had a guy ask me the other day. Uh, I was telling mom about it. At the, at the gym, they call me preacher. And so this guy, he only knows me as preacher. I come to the gym. He knows I'm a minister, and he said, "Hey, you," uh, he said, "You out saving the masses?" And it, and it was funny because I was like, "Nope, nope," because and I told him because I walked the narrow path, and the masses won't fit on the narrow path, so I'm not even trying to do that. And he was looking at me like, "Okay." <laughs> <laughs> Not that saving souls isn't good, but but like when you guys sit here and you come on a Friday and, and we're we're taking this path and we're saying we don't know and we're going to address a big lie, like as a mother and a father, we're not just trying to preach a good like yeah, 
good message. We're not just trying to put together a, a sermon or whatever. We didn't half the time we don't even do that. What we're trying to do is come and equip you. We're trying to equip the saints for the work of the ministry and to understand what the work of the ministry is and really to understand your faith and to develop to give you a, a platform or, or a means or an avenue to come alongside you to develop your relationship with Yahweh. Because at the end of the day, like it's your faith, right? Yeah. We're shepherds and we're stewards to a degree, but at the end of the day, we want you to understand your faith and work that out and replicate that to the next generation to the fullness that we admitted at the beginning of this process we may not understand, right? So I just feel like, like just, okay, like we've 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 gone deep as deep into these things as we can on a weekly basis, and I know that you guys are going to be confronted with what you represent. You're going to be confronted because when you hunger after the truth or you pursue truth, um, and you start to question things, it's naturally the truth will naturally scandalize anything that's not the truth. Yeah. Hunger will will provoke or scandalize people around you that have been operating in a spirit of indifference and haven't been hungry. Yeah. So as a, as a family, when we start operating in this hunger to find out, you know what, we don't know. That's already going to scandalize somebody who says, 2,000 years of Christianity can't be wrong. Right? What are you talking about? You don't know. Of course we know. We know what the deal is. It's already going to provoke. But when you start to to look into the scripture and, and the veil starts to come off, I, I mean, I'm raise a child up in the way they should go. I thought I understood what that meant, but now I understand. There's so many scriptures that just all of a sudden make sense now because of what we're after. Yeah. Right? And when you start operating like that and you start witnessing about that and testifying about that, it's going to provoke other people who think they got it all figured out or they got it passed down from their uh, from their ancestors or whatever. They're going to it's going to provoke to jealousy. Right. And it's going to it's going to be confrontational. Remember when we talked about peacemakers are the ones that are called sons of God. When you make peace, that's a confrontational thing. Right. I, I don't want we don't want anybody that we raise up to be afraid of confrontation. Okay. <laughs> come on. Yeah, come on. Like I want to raise people that are so passionate and fired up and driven by hunger that you're gonna get after the truth and you're even willing to say, I don't know. Right? You can be passionate and fired up and humble at the same time. Okay? It's not a it's not a It's not a confrontation to say, you know what, I'm in the truth, I'm in the right, you're wrong, I'm gonna tell you about it. Okay? It's a Hebrew mindset to where when you're confronted, you begin to ask questions in a fired up way, but what about this? But what about what it says right here? But what about when Yeshua said this? What about when Paul said this? What about when he said this? Right? Yeah. And you're just that man, that hunger is contagious. Yeah. And so I don't we don't want any of you guys to be afraid of confrontation. And at the same time, 
we know that equipping you and going through this process that not many are willing to go through is going to give the confidence for everybody to be looking for those opportunities of a confrontation. Like, man, I, I'm, I welcome a confrontation, you know? Like, not because I'm looking for a fight, but like, man, like, let, I want to be sharp, you know? And so... Did you do you have anything to add to that? I just just given the perspective of like where are we coming from when we No, I think the only thing to add, you know, when 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 you're passionate and that confrontation comes when he's talking about the being humble, it's also I it's also being able to discern in the middle of the confrontation what is the agenda. That let me explain it this way. When that guy said, preacher, are you uh, saving the masses or preaching to the masses? He was, ex did you see how strategic that was? He didn't, if you, if, if, if our story was a book, he gave chapter one. Like he gave the title of chapter one. He didn't be like, let me sit you down. Here's what I'm preaching on and go into the Torah and Paul and Matthew five and this, and we tore down and then we put the cross in the middle and we did, you know, and we didn't have chair and we, he didn't, he didn't give all the chapters and he did. And he definitely didn't give this chapter. He didn't be like, well, actually in the night season. Yeah. Right. Like we can't get overwhelmed with the path that he has us on. And then when there's times that you're, that confrontation comes, you have to discern which chapter you're supposed to be in. If that makes sense. So there, there are because I, I know that there's a wrestling. Well, if we're saying all of this, what are we gonna what are we gonna do? Like make a billboard out of it? Well, no. So that but but there has to be a passionate hunger to also not leave people where they're at without allowing them to be hungry for the next chapter. So you can't go all the way to the point of having a billboard and trying to explain to somebody who's never been through the process where we are, but at the same time, you can't be so complacent that you don't even explain chapter one because you just want to love them. So you're going to leave them there because yeah. that's not love either. So it's like enticing or that excitement to let them want to read the next chapter, but not necessarily giving the ending, which makes sense because we're not, we don't, we don't even know the ending, right? right? Like we're not even necessarily knowing what that next chapter is, but to just be aware that he has us on a path, he has you on a path, and so when those confrontations come, you have to be able to discern where others are in that path. And it's like you're putting enough pressure to keep them wanting more, but at the same time not getting out of an AK-47 and blowing their heads off before they have a chance. Just like I would hope you would know that we're doing the same thing for you guys. There are things that I'm not saying we have staff meetings and we know what's going on in two years. You guys all know how we function. But there are things that we are studying that we are, we are in Chapter 10. We are only releasing Chapter 4. So there are things that I am saying that I know that you guys have even heard on podcasts. You're like, Nana said that two years ago. And here we are knowing where we were going to go. But I couldn't take out the AK-47 and explain all of it. I couldn't get into Paul then. 
Well, we can now, but there's more about Paul that we can't get into. Not that we can't get into, but you know what I mean? There's some things that we're not getting into now that we would. So it's the same way. You guys are being led in the same way we would want it to be multiplied. So there's going to be seeds or little things that we throw out as like headliners to get you thinking, to be like, what was that? Why was that? Because I want you to read the next chapter, but I'm not going to just like, you know, take out all my knives. <laughs> you know what I, you know what I mean. And so there's there's that aspect of being able to so just know that it's not like we're I don't know if that's making sense, but like while you are in a process, so are others in a process, and you wouldn't want that done to you. So that's why you don't do that to others. But you don't you wouldn't want to be left either. You, you know what I mean. You want that you want that healthy press. So yeah, yeah. So be encouraged because at the end of the night season, there's there's going to be those opportunities. And even if you fall flat on your face, you know, you go in all gung-ho ready for the confrontation and let's say you fall flat on your face, like who cares? I'm just reminded of the story. Remember when I talked about my patient and I like kind of went there and I thought I was like in the right chapter and he was like, so then you're not tour observant? And I was like, <laughs> How many times a day do you brush your teeth? Oh, <laughs> you have some pluck right here. <laughs> so, are you going to explain the breather? Huh? You want to talk about the breather or like what, what we're do doing today? Okay, I will. No, go ahead. <laughs> okay, this is how we felt led. Um, actually, yesterday morning, I started to feel led in this. And then um, I think that confirmation came. We, we are always knowing about podcast night and, and where the family's at, like with where wrestling is. And it was just confirmation that, that we were on track with what he was showing us on Wednesday and Thursday. We're not taking a, a breather from Paul. We're going to pick up with Paul. Uh, next week is going to be activation week, and then after that we're going to basically finish off the night season with a couple more scriptures. I really would like to get into Galatians, just some context of some things, some, some of those big whammies that are used to say, you guys are off base, and we really want to get at that before the night season's over. Tonight, instead of we will get into Paul because we want to kind of follow up on Romans and stuff, but instead of focusing on Paul, I actually felt led to start teaching on some of the things that the scriptures talk about in the end. Because I want to bring a full picture. It's almost like tonight we're going to be giving a headliner to chapter 10. So I don't know if that does that, does that kind of make sense. So it's like there tonight because we're taking a breather and taking a step back, sometimes you have to get – I don't know if you guys are like this. If you're in the middle of the book and it starts to get, man, there's a lot of weeds in the details – I have to take a step back and like reread the summary or I might need to get a, a focus of, well, where are we going? So it's almost like tonight we're going to take a breather and we're actually going to be reading out of Daniel because there was a prophet that prophesied what we're seeing right now. And uh, we want to talk about Second uh, Thessalonians that hits this head on. And I want to bring kind of an end time perspective as to why he has this family going through what we're going through. <clears throat> to just kind of give us a, a step back and we, we've kind of gone through some history. We're going to get more into history in the next night season, but really just kind of take that breather in the perspective of the larger picture so that we understand why it is that he's even us taking us down this road. So we don't get stuck in the, um, the, the personalization of what's happening. 
We understand we're going to wrestle personally, absolutely. But we also want to see the bigger picture because, like what Megan's been talking about, why wrestle if we don't know what we're wrestling unto? And for me, sometimes when I'm in the middle of a wrestling match, I want to know what the purpose of the match was. Why did I sign up for it? Why did I train for it? Why am I here? Why do I want to win? What's on the other side of this? So sometimes being able to, in our personal wrestling matches, it helps to understand the bigger picture so that we're willing to keep on fighting. So. Amen. Well, I'm going to read this first real quick. 2 Timothy 3.5. If you read verse 1 through uh, 5, or 1 through 4, I'll just go ahead and read it. It says, But understand this, in the last days hard times will come, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, hard-hearted, unforgiving, backbiting, without self-control, brutal, hating what is good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And verse 5 says, holding on to an outward form of godliness but denying its power. Avoid these people. And that's just kind of a something to have in the back of our mind that you can get to a place where in he's he's speaking to to believers, to followers. Right? He's not speaking to people that don't know God. He's speaking to followers and saying he's given a warning that you can get to a place where you're holding on to a, an outwardly form of godliness, an appearance of godliness, but you're actively denying its power because you, you're you're participating in none of it. You're just trying to look like it. So that's a very real that's a very real dynamic. That there can be people that you observe to be godly, but they actively deny God's power because they're just making it look like they embrace God. Okay? That's a real dynamic. All right. Now we go to uh, Daniel chapter 7. And it's important to remember as you read the prophets, remember what Yeshua said in Matthew 5. He said, I did not come to abolish the law and the prophets. Anytime you hear about the law, the prophets are linked. The law and the prophets are linked. That's why Yeshua said, I did not come to abolish the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill them. So let's think about just the level of deception that the enemy can operate in, that if he abolishes, if he can get you to believe that not only the law, but the prophets are abolished, then that nullifies what I'm about to read to you. Okay, In your mind, if you can be deceived that the law and the prophets have been abolished, then it nullifies everything Daniel says right here. Okay, He's, in, he's interpreting a vision that he had of the beasts of Revelation. Okay, I'm going to start in verse uh, 15, chapter 7. Says, as for me, Daniel, my spirit was disturbed within me, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those standing nearby and asked him the true meaning of all this. So he spoke with me and revealed the interpretation of these things. These large, large beasts, four in number, are four kings that will rise from the earth. But the Kedoshim, which means the set-apart ones, that's you guys, 
the set apart people, that's you, so insert yourself into this. But you guys of the Most High will receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever. Yes, forever and ever. Then I wanted to know the true meaning of the fourth beast that was different from all the others, exceedingly terrifying with iron teeth and bronze claws, which broke in pieces and devoured and then stomped with its feet anything that remained. So he's saying there's four beasts. The fourth is the most terrifying. Okay? The fourth beast that he's about to get into and describe is the most terrifying. Okay? It stomps out everything with his feet that remains after, you know, it's got iron teeth and, and bronze claws. Verse 20, of the ten horns on its head, the other horn that sprang up before which three others fell, that horn had eyes and a mouth speaking arrogant things, and its appearance was more imposing than its companions. As I was watching, that horn was waging war against you and overpowering you until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was rendered in favor of you of the Most High. When the time came, you possessed the kingdom. Then he explained, the fourth beast will be a, four, a fourth kingdom on earth that will be different from all the other kingdoms. It will devour the whole earth and trample it and crush it. As for the ten horns out of this kingdom, ten kings will arise. Another will rise after them, but he will be different from the previous ones. He will subdue three kings. Now this is what's important. Verse 25. He will speak words against the Most High and will continually harass you of the Most High. So we are going to be continually harassed by this beast. And this is the key phrase right here. And this beast will try to change the appointed times and the law. Of the four beasts of Revelation, the most terrifying, this is what he's going to try to do. He's going to try to change the appointed times and the law. Now, if we're no longer subject to the law and the prophets, then this doesn't matter. Right? But if you reconcile within and of yourself, Matthew 5, and you get to the point to where, like in and of myself, my conviction is Yeshua came to fulfill the law. None of it was invalidated with Yeshua. Right. And the prophets, which means that what Daniel is saying here is valid. And he's saying that the fourth beast of Revelation is going to try to change the appointed times and the law. OK. You will be handed over to him for a time. The next verse says the Kedoshim, which is you, the set-apart people, will be handed over to this beast for a time. Is that, is that crazy? Like, Daniel's prophesying that you will be deceived by this beast for a time. Like, have we not all been yeah. deceived yeah. for a time? On those things. Yeah. Concerning the law and the appointed feasts. You will be handed over to him for a time, times and a half a time. I don't know what that means, but that's a lot of time. Okay? Could be. Verse 26 says, But the court will sit, and he will be stripped of his power to be destroyed and abolished for all time. Then the kingdom, power, and greatness of the kingdoms under all heaven will be given to the people of the Kedoshim of the Most High. Their kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions will serve and obey him. 
This is the conclusion of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly troubled me and color drained from my face, but I kept the matter in my heart. So how amazing that we can look at ourselves in this prophecy and understand from a from a prophetic perspective in the in the um, the original writings we can look at what a prophet was saying about we can insert ourselves into what he's saying and understand our story within this context and what he's prophesying is he's talking about the end result he's talking about revelation right so to be able to take a step back and understand the big picture and have context for when we come up against or we're confronted with or we're continuing to learn ourselves in and of ourselves you can right we talked about the different laws at war there's laws that are at war within you you could be you could be having the biggest confrontation in and of yourself right and to be able to understand that if the prophets if their words are still valid if Yeshua was a uh, was a manifestation of the prophets words right was he yes. was Yeshua a, a fulfillment of the prophets words yes. right if we agree with that then we have to reconcile with what the prophets are saying and we can understand that where we are at right now we can say that we were given over to this beast for a time yeah. but like he says but the court will sit and he will be stripped of his power and be destroyed and abolished for all time. We can attest to that. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Like we can attest to that. We're not being given over. And if you think of deception, if the enemy can get you to, to uh, give up on the law and give into a false dichotomy that it's either the law, which is bondage, or freedom, which means you can do whatever you want. Right. If we give into that deception, then we then we're free. We're quote unquote free to not even acknowledge what the prophets are saying. Right. If we're free from the law, then we're also free from the prophets. If we're free from the prophets, then we don't have to acknowledge what Daniel is is prophesying here about revelation. Yeah, so take revelation. He's not prophesying up until the the last word of the Old Testament yeah. right yeah. he's prophesying about things that haven't even happened yet we haven't even seen the things happen yet that he's talking about because he's talking about the four beasts of Revelation but I can relate to this right here yeah. right Go ahead. so now we're gonna jump forward Oh, um, I'm trying to figure out how much to read of this. I'm in Second Thessalonians. Chapter 2. Who wants to read the title of that chapter? Say it out loud. The man of lawlessness. The man of lawlessness. Mm. So... Daniel's prophesying about how there's, a, I mean, however we want to wrestle, there's so much end time doctrine. I have some people saying in the, um, right, 5783, 
we're coming up onto uh, the six thousands, which is the the rest. And there's you know things that are going on. There are some people that are saying that 2024 is in the middle of the seven years. We're already in tribulation. Whatever. It, it I'm not concerned with post pre middle. Like I'm not. That's not. That's not what I'm after when we talk about this. But there are things when you read in Daniel that if you can identify with that there is a time that someone's going to mess with his times and I've been a part of that, I, ha- I, have, to, I have to know something's going on. Yeah. It's like if you when you read Revelations and you read something and you're like, is that right now? But Revelations is a little hard to read because it's, it, it's the figurative part. It's kind of hard to discern what is it that's hap- like what is it that's happening. When you read Daniel, that is as clear as day that there is going to be a what? A kingdom that is going to set itself up, that is going to teach its people that his times, his feasts don't matter and that they will also be changed. And that the law is not is is void. Right. Are, what we're breaking out of, those are the two foundational things to the things that we're breaking out of. Yeah. Is what you celebrate yeah. and that you're free from the law. Yeah, right. I mean that's like the creed of every single we have to look at this and we have to we have to we have to wrestle this. While it's hard to wrestle to be to to wake up that I was a part of a system that had that in it, that can be hard. At the same time, I am also humbled and on my face that we are also walking out the prophecy that there will be a set apart people on the narrow of narrows, not the masses, that will wake up and it will be before this happens that are going to identify what is going on and have full discernment because there is no deception. Right, yeah. right. So, okay. 2 Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians. Are you guys okay? All right. The man of lawlessness. Now, I don't know. I, I don't know about you guys, but I have heard a lot about like uh, I'm trying to think of how to say this. What the word is. Um. There's been a uh, there's been a lot of talk or understanding of what the end time is going to be, and everybody's trying to figure out what could be the Antichrist. Right. Right. We've heard a lot about what that's going to look like, and and just okay. Second Thessalonians says, <clears throat> I'll just say it, and then we'll read it. It is all about being lawless. So where is that in the teaching when we're supposed to be looking for it? That the foundational truth to what is going to come against his kingdom is going to be rooted in lawlessness. Okay? Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, concerning the coming of the Lord Yeshua the Messiah and our gathering together to him, not to get shaken out of our mind or disturbed, either by a spirit or a word or a letter as if it, as if it, as if through us, as though the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way. This is a warning, okay, to be on guard for deception. We were talking about this earlier. Deception has got to be, how did you say it? 
the the worst thing. Because if you're deceived, you don't know. <laughs> right? I mean, pornography sucks. The addiction sucks. It's heart wrenching. It, it it messes with covenant. It it's a it's a it's a walking out process. There's it, but you're you're aware of the isolation, the disconnect, the shame, the guilt, deception. You are fully righteous. You are self righteous. You are prideful. You are you and you know, and you have no idea. So that to me would just be the hardest thing. Okay. So he's saying do not do not be deceived. Um, uh, in any way for the day will not come, the day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the one destined to be destroyed. Uh He opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that if he sits in the temple of, so that he can sit in the temple of God proclaiming himself that he is God. Now, I don't want to go. Never mind. <laughs> yeah. Never mind. <laughs> don't you remember that when I was still with you, I was telling you these things. And you know what now holds back for him to be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness. The mystery of lawlessness is already operating. This isn't like a new thing in 1920. When was this written? The mystery of lawlessness is already operating. Only there is one who holds back just now until he is taken out of the way. Then the lawless one will be revealed. The Lord Yeshua will slay him with the breath of his mouth and will wipe him out with the appearance of his coming. Here's what I'm after. I don't want us to find out that I'm the one that gets wiped away. Like if I can just be real. Right? Like, when this day comes, I don't want to be the one he blows on in that way. The coming of the lawless one is connected to the activity of Satan. Mm -hmm. Isn't that interesting that we blame Satan for a lot of things? But lawlessness is directly connected to the activity of Satan. With all power and signs and false wonders. Come on now. These are some strong words, and I recognize that we're coming across strong, but it's in the word, and I'd rather come across strong now than the word come across strong later. Yeah. Yeah. So you can do, you can have power and signs and do wonders, right? You can do all these things in his name. Right? Like, man, our discernment, when he says, let no one deceive you, your discernment has to be, this is how you discern something that looks the same. You can have a genuine kingdom person filled with kingdom power that it's not about an outward appearance, but there's fruit. And you can have somebody like this, and they can look exactly the same on the outside. Yeah. Right? And the way you discern it is you have to understand where the things that are being displayed on the outside, where they came from. What is the fruit rooted in? Remember when I said, I I want the blessings that come from the house of Yahweh. You can be blessed, but just because you're blessed doesn't mean that came from him. Right? Deception's crazy. 
and with every kind of wicked deception towards those who are perishing. They perish because they did not accept the love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason, God sends them a delusional force to lead them to believe what is false so that they may be judged, all those who did not believe the truth in delighted and wickedness. So in taking a step back and just taking a breath in that bigger picture, he's send, he's sending us down. So let me, let me, let me go back to the beginning. When I said he is going to expose the greatest lie ever told, it's this, right? Like we've been getting into some of the nitty gritty and trying to break it down and try to figure out where did, where did the lie come in then? Why did we agree with it? Where did the deception come in? Like we've been trying to wrestle that out. But ultimately at the end of the day, coming to the end of this night season, I want us to walk away and know that the greatest lie ever told was that lawlessness was righteous. That being lawless was free. That is a lie and it is the activity of Satan. So, so when we're when we're wrestling this out, it's being able to look at the bigger picture that there is at least we can agree there's something about lawlessness. And let me say this: it is not up to you and your individual perspective or idea, or any pastor's individual perspective or idea, or any theological doctrinal school of thoughts issue or perspective on what um, lawless is. How could it be? Mm -hmm. There's nothing in Thessalonians that says there is a pastor that is going to know what law is and what not law is because I'm talking about a different law. What is he talking about if he's talking about lawlessness? There's only one lawlessness he could be talking about because... There's only one instructional book. I understand we've got many instructional books now, but there was only one instructional book that he was talking about when he's saying lawlessness. So when we're wrestling, it's it's an it's an interesting thing, right? It's you know, when when we're thinking about like, well, what is this going to mean? So then we have to like be obedient to 613 laws. Well, I want to challenge us that we've been obedient to 2050 laws. And they've been man-produced or man-made or tossed to and fro based on what's good or what's not. Who discerns who's Jezebel and who's not? Who discerns if emotion is manipulative or not? Who says that this is okay to get a divorce and this isn't? Who says that you're allowed to cheat and not tell your spouse and then maybe you should and then maybe you shouldn't? Well, in Mm -hmm. your situation, you should be a hypocrite because you're totally different. And in your situation, well, you should leave the church because that shouldn't have happened. Mm-hmm. It has been a muddled mess of hypocritical, up and down, no no stability, no foundation. And he's bringing us back to a firm foundation. Does that, does that make sense? I mean, to me, that he's not saying, don't be deceived by this one book. Like, he's not saying, don't, oh my gosh, what am I trying to say? He's not saying that. There's going to be a man that that goes really fast on the highway. Like he's not talking about Arizona statutes. He's not talking about 
Africa's statues. He's not talking about. He's not. He, yeah. <laughs> he's talking about. He's not talking about whether or not you spoke in tongues or not. He's not talking about the different theological doctrines that have come forth to determine whether you're saved or not, or what is fruit or not. Mm-hmm. He's he's talking about the lawless one, and he's talking about being lawless against his law, being yeah. less of his instructions. It's the only thing he's talking about. So all we're presenting is is that there's some things that need to kind of get like untwisted because there's been something that we've believed that we didn't have to even know those or abide by them, and that they're no longer void because Yeshua did it. And we've been painting Yeshua as the as the as the law. We've yeah, come on, we've been painting that Yeshua is the Antichrist. Right, right. Yeah. Yep. Why we are accusing that Jews missed it. Right. Yeah. Come on. But then what he talked about last week about the house word, our house n word, creating a savior for my own good. Yeah. And putting my own definition, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, and putting it on his name and saying that that's salvation. How is that any different than those who crucified him then? Right. So when I say crazy things, I'm pointing out that there's something in us that is um, working, uh, working against the kingdom because we've been in a structure of a kingdom. Yeah, that's good. Good. And and that's what he told us to do was to wake up and to break out of that structure. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Good. Let's let's flip to uh, Revelation two. How old is This is so good. We've all heard this, and without an objective reference or an objective standard, we interpret this subjectively. We interpret this according to our own experience. We interpret what this means according to what sounds nice or feels good. Okay? Yeah. Revelation 2 says, return to your first love. What is that? <laughs> What's your what? Uh, oh, when I was when the moment I was born again, that was my first love, right? That's that's just according to my own experience and what I, what comes to my mind, right? Right? If there's no, it's like what she talked about. The law is the standard. Right? We're rejecting the law, but we'll take a man's word and do that or not do that. That's crazy. Yeah. Right? Like we'll take a subjective law and walk that out and we'll be held bondage to that for years in religion. But we'll reject the, <laughs> the, yeah. the law of Yahweh. Okay, so it says return to your first love. To the angel of Messiah's community in Ephesus, write, Thus says the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks in the midst of the seven golden... Menorah. Is that, is that Men- how you say that? Menorah. Menorah. 
I know all about your deeds, your deeds, mm -hmm. and your toil, and your patient endurance, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. You have tested those who call themselves emissaries and are not, and have found them to be liars. Right? So he's he's saying, good job. You did these. You tested people. You figured out they were lying. Good job. Okay? You have perseverance and have endured for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. Good job. Okay? You got you did all these things right. Okay? But this I have against you, that you have forsaken your first love. So he's saying you need to return to your first love. Okay? Remember then from where you have fallen, repent and do the deeds that you did at first. So when it says return to your first love, right? Am I am I by myself in that I just return? How many sermons have we heard? Return to your first love. What does that mean? I don't know. I just filled in what I thought it meant. Yeah. Have the zeal that you had when you first. Yeah. Be passionate. Stir you up to. Okay. But he's relating your first love. He's saying first you have to repent in order to return to your first love, and do the deeds you did at first. Remember when we talked about James 2, your, your faith without works is dead. What are the works? The works is your loyalty to his commands, to his statutes, to his ordinances. And Ephesus got away. They did all these things great, but they got away from their first love, which means do the deeds that you did at first. That's what they fell away from. Okay? If not... I will come to you and remove your menorah from its place unless you repent. Like, that's scary. Like, we, if, if we're operating in the first love, in the deeds of the first love, our menorah is in place. I don't even know what that means, but I don't want him to take it. Okay? I don't know where it is. I don't know what place it is, but I want it to stay there. Okay? This is Revelation. Yet you have this going for you, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Ruach is saying to Messiah's communities. To the one who overcomes, I will grant the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So you can see how he's saying you need to repent, get back to the, the deeds of your first love, so that I can restore you to the place that you originally were intended to, to stay. Okay? We talk about going back to the garden, the original intent, right? Now, let's go to, we're, we're in chapter 2. Let's talk about uh, verse 18. He says, do not tolerate Jezebel. How many words have we heard about Jezebel or how she operates or the way that she does things and or maybe you've been called Jezebel, right? Or you've, or maybe you've accused somebody of being Jezebel. I don't know. But that Jezebel has been thrown around so much, and that's one of those things that we do not understand because we don't understand it according to the standard of the Torah. Okay? And I'm going to prove it to you right now. He says, don't tolerate Jezebel. Okay. To the angel of Messiah's community in Thyatira, right? Thus says the Son of God, 
who has eyes like a flame of fire and feet like polished bronze. I know your deeds and your love and your faith and your service and patient endurance and that your last deeds are greater than the first. But this I have against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. Yet she is teaching and deceiving my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Those two things, he's talking about what the pagans would do in their temples. Okay, This is what Paul was getting at when he was talking to the Gentile followers and he was teaching them how to engage into the Jewish community of followers of Yeshua. He was teaching them, you cannot, go back to Acts 15, you cannot engage in sexual immorality and you can't eat food sacrificed to idols. Paul was dealing with what they were doing and how they were out of alignment with the Torah. Okay, and we're in Revelation and it says, do not tolerate a prophet, do not tolerate somebody who brings a word who says you can continue to uh, engage in sexual immorality and you can continue to eat food sacrificed to idols, which means you can continue in your paganism, which means you can continue as as a as a, in hostility to the Torah, to the to the loving instructions of the Father. Remember, sexual immorality could be. Oh well, that's not me. I don't do that. But remember <laughs> Romans from last week, Romans seven, where Paul was using the analogy of of the the adulterous woman and what breaking covenant really meant. So we have to take it on multiple levels. Being taught something that you can continue to break covenant, meaning who's been teaching that it's okay, you don't even need to follow the covenant the covenant vows. And including, because you don't have to follow the covenant vows, that also includes food. Verse 21 says, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her immorality. Now, again, subjective. You bring that for Obviously, first the word reads you. But you bring that forth. Who determines immorality? Because there's a bunch of people in this community that would be like, yeah, Tanya needs to read the Jezebel chapter. Because mm -hmm. to them, I'm immoral. But my standard is Yahweh's standards and not your doctrinal theology of what you think is immoral because I didn't walk. I didn't attend Wednesday night and Sunday morning or whatever it was that I did wrong. I cried too much. Right? There's a, there's this stigma of what is immoral, but the problem is is it's a subjective issue of what we're tolerating and we're just saying and I'm not saying that those things aren't immoral or like speeding isn't, but we got to get back to the foundational like what is this stuff to be able to discern what it is that's really happening because we have we it's been 2,000 years of hearing it kind of whimsically, yeah. subjectively, regardless. I don't, 
yeah, yeah. I don't. It doesn't matter what religion you're in. It, 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 all of a sudden, you get complacent in these whimsical ideas, and you're not necessarily holding on or holding fast to that foundational truth. And all of a sudden, it gets veered off into all of these little highways. And 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 that doesn't that sound like the Talmud? Yeah. It sounds like I really don't want my people to be immoral, so I'm going to put up all these fence lines to make sure they're not immoral. But doesn't that sound like the oral law in the Talmud that Yeshua said, I'm done with that. And then we're frustrated that that happened while we're doing it because we're putting up all these fence lines to make sure we aren't immoral. So now you can't do I, I'm trying to think of examples here, but you can't do this. You can't do that. I mean, I don't know how many of us wake up feeling condemned, ashamed. We did something wrong. And all we did was sleep and breathe. And you just wake up feeling like. What did, I, what did I do because of all those fence lines? We're just trying to get rid of the fence lines and come back to that original foundation so we can breathe. But I understand that it's hard when you're having to, you know, those fence lines. Anyways, does that make sense? Subjective was a good word. <laughs> so, you, so here you have this prophet, this false prophet. You have Daniel, a prophet sent by Yahweh talking about the beasts of revelation and what they're going to try to do is change the appointed times and the feasts the appointed times and the law now now you fast forward to jezebel who's a false prophet who's teaching and she's deceiving the servants to do things that daniel was talking about okay says behold i will throw her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless unless they repent of her doings I will also strike her children with a deadly disease then all of my Messiah's communities then all of Messiah's communities will know that I am the one who searches minds and hearts and I will give to each of you according to your deeds but to the rest of you who do not hold to this teaching and have not learned the so-called deep things of Satan I place on you no other burden only hold firm to what you have until I come to the one who overcomes and guards my deeds until the end. I will give him authority over the nations, and he shall rule them with an iron rod as when clay pots are broken into pieces. Even as I have received from my father, so will I give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Ruach is saying to Messiah's communities. But to the rest of you who do not hold to this teaching and have not learned the so-called deep things of Satan. And Yahweh's so good to say, we're going to expose the greatest lie, learning the deep intricacies of how he works, not just, oh, you got deceived and so you fell into sin, so let's get delivered, but a deeper rooted, which we've talked about in Genesis 3. What is the pattern that he uses? Yeah. First, it... Yahweh's a bad God. He's a bad father. I can't believe he told you you can't do that. Right. That's the first hurdle. Right? We're learning that we've believed that he's a bad father and he told us not to do things, which is why we've engaged in those things, because we want to prove to the world he's a good father. When in reality, we're just proving to the world rebellion and actually acting against him. Right. So the first thing he does is he tries to get you to question who the father is. That's the first thing. And then, but the questioning isn't just to question who he is, but to question that he's not good because he didn't give you everything. Yeah. 
Then the next trick is, is I, I can't remember exactly how they were, but just the next trick is, is that then he basically says, but if you, if you listen to me, I'll give you that freedom. Isn't that what Yeshua encountered every single time Hasatan came to him? I'll give you the world. I'll give you this. So when he's talking about blessing, be careful about the boasting, not us boasting, but be careful about those that boast in their blessing. Because you gained a lot and lost a lot. You gained, you've gained a ton but, are, but have lost a lot. So then that's the next thing is I'll give you access to what you think you've missed out on, so follow me. That was bondage. And I am free. But we see that repeated over and over and over again to even now, 2,000 years, that's what's being told to his people. Yeah. Yeah. Right? The Old Testament father is bad. And you you should not be allowed. You, that is horrible that you are not allowed to do some things. So follow me. Now you're free. You can do those things now. And now we're deceived, lawless, and you're bound, and we don't even know it, right. thinking that it's him. Right. Mm-hmm. True maturity looks like the Father's instructions being an external force in your life. To being an internal force in your life that's what maturity looks like if I walk with my youngest child outside in the street and I tell I give her instructions watch for cars walk on the side of the road when you hear a car stop step on the you know whatever the instructions may be for her safety at a young age that's an external instruction that's an external force in her life a sign of maturity is when I can be absent and she can do the same thing because it's become internalized, right? And that's ultimately what Apostle Paul is after. That's what Yeshua was after, giving us the ability, right, through his death and resurrection, that the law can go from external to internal and be written on our hearts, right? Instead of this false dichotomy of, well, now, you know, we came from a place in our history where uh, we were under the law, but we're no longer under the law. Going from under the law to no longer under the law, meaning it's no longer legitimate. That is not a mature sonship. Yeah. Mature sonship is his instructions were on the outside and they raised me up and now I walk a life where they're on the inside. Mm-hmm. Right? Because they're written on your heart. So I want to... Um, it would be like what he's talking about with Rena walking in the street and getting to a place of maturity. I mean, this is kind of what we've done is, oh, good, I'm mature. My dad's not around. So now I'm not under his instructions. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to stand right in front of the moving car, yeah. right, versus yeah. wanting to abide by the instructions even though he's not there, yeah. that internal desire to want to walk that way would be the, the example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah um, did, so I had sent a picture on Boxer. Did you, who all saw that picture? Um, 
if you guys, some of you guys could get it out on your phone because I think there's some people that haven't seen it and we can just kind of look at that. But um, kind of shifting back into Paul a little bit and back into the book of Romans, um, I wanted to kind of talk about the dynamic of Romans 11, which is uh, if you're not familiar, you definitely need to read into that. It's basically... Um, Apostle Paul talking about the olive tree and how we've been grafted in to the olive tree. Um, this is something that, so Apostle Paul is like the chief source of what you, of lawlessness, right? Not because he actually address, is, address but he's the, he's the chief go-to when somebody wants to say we're no longer under the law. Because there's so much misunderstanding. But the, the misunderstanding is so prevalent and Paul is so misunderstood that he's actually the primary resource that people will go to and say, look, we're not under the law. Like he's proof of that. Okay. In Romans 11, I, I want to just kind of paint a picture of this olive tree and a lot of the misconceptions that come with that. Now, the scripture talks about, and you have to do some digging into the original meanings of these words and be aware of some translations, but basically it talks about the Jewish people, their, their branches on the tree, their natural branches, and they've been broken off, okay, because of, you know, their mistake or their misstep or, you know, they fell away. They fell Okay, And because they fell, their natural branches as part of this tree were broken off. And because of that, we were then given the grace to be grafted into the tree. Okay. Now, if you look at that picture that I sent to you guys, um, that picture is, that picture was, um, John Calvin, so we know like Calvinists or Calvinism, the guy who created that or was the father of that, his name was John Calvin, he actually wrote several commentaries about scripture and in every single commentary that he published, this picture was in the, in the front of every single one. Okay, if you look at the picture, it says in Latin or whatever that foreign language is that they were broken off and we were inserted. Okay. Now, this is where things start to get weird when you talk about early church fathers and Pro the Protestant Reformation and the fathers of such of where we're at now. Right. Protestant Christianity is what we know. OK. And here you have one early church father in particular in every single one of his commentaries. He's got this picture. And if you look at it, there's a cloud which represents God. And there's hands coming out of the cloud and one hand has a broken branch in it representing the Jewish people, and one hand has a sickle in it. So it, it portrays that God is cutting the Jewish people out, and those little bundles around most of the branches is Gentiles or Christians being grafted in. Okay. Now this picture is, is not accurate as far as what it's portraying, and this is where we have to understand that this is where replacement theology comes from. Yeah. Okay? 
you're out, I'm in, is exactly what this picture is saying. Do we understand when we say what replacement theology is? Fundamentally, Protestant Christianity, 300 years after Yeshua, began with the theological doctrine of replacement theology. Replacement theology is you're out, I'm in. Okay? Go ahead. And you're out so much so that what I'm what I'm doing as as John Calvin is going to provide a platform for anti-Semitism because you're out because you screwed up because God cut you off from the tree from the olive tree right now when you what's interesting is when you actually study how somebody actually grafts in wild branches from one olive tree into another one. They never cut the branches off. The branches, the existing natural branches of one particular tree are never cut off. What happens is you bend a branch to the side and you cut that branch and then you graft in the wild one into the existing branch. Okay? You would never cut off a branch and then bundle a new one. It doesn't work like that. Okay? And in Romans 11, Apostle Paul is saying that you've been grafted in among them, among them, which implies that their branches are still there, and now you're a part of that tree, along with them, among them, okay? I think it's, man, it's something to really ponder on and meditate, because... A lot of times what will happen is as the family, as individuals, you will start to express certain views about the truth that you're hungry about, about the truth that you've been pursuing and laying your life down for and approaching it in a way that this is my faith. It's only mine. Somebody else is not going to walk it out for me. And the the burden is on me to understand my faith. Yeah. Right. So from that posture. You're searching it out. You're hungry for it. You're doing your due diligence. You're finding out who you are. Who did Yahweh say I am? And when you start going down that road and you start pursuing truth in that way, other people who are in a Greek mindset are going to project the way they filter things onto you. If you're operating from a Hebraic perspective and you're pursuing the truth, just because I'm pursuing the truth and I have a conviction, I can articulate my conviction, I'm going to walk out my convictions under pressure. Just because I do that doesn't mean I'm putting a judgment on you. But if you operate in a Greek mindset and it's either right or wrong, in or out, like John Calvin, you're out, I'm in. It's black and white. It's Greek thinking. We're right. You are on the wrong side of history and now we're in. You're out forever, we're in. If somebody who thinks that way, and the reason why I'm saying this is because this is, this, that picture and the dynamics of that picture have been so intertwined with Christianity and Protestant, the Reformation and Christianity as we know it, that it's very hard to identify and, and pull the tiny little threads and figure out exactly what they're intertwined with and what they're next to. It's hard to separate all that. That's what we're doing. 
if you're walking out what I believe we're walking out in a Hebraic way, in a, in a posture of humility, and you're witnessing to the truth, to somebody who is still intertwined with these things, they're going to project on you, then what are you saying? Um, like, um, do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 Which is interesting now to be called out on that, because isn't that what we've done for 2,000 years? We're actually just calling that out. We're exposing that. It's like, um, uh, I'm trying to think of uh, an example. It, uh, when we were having to wrestle through, I mean, I think that this was recent, when we were having to wrestle through talking about the hatred of Christianity and people being like, well, I don't, I don't hate, so that's not, that's not me. But what is the biggest world's issue with the church? I mean, I, I can't even remember the statistics. When we were at a, a, a pastor's thing, or maybe it was at FCS, there was a pastor that was doing all these statistics of just in Flagstaff of how many churches there are and how many people that go versus the population. And it's heart-wrenching. But it's, beca it's because of those under, like, I guess what I'm saying is, is now when we're exposing the, you know, the, I'm trying to think of like how to, when you're, when you're, when you're, when you're having to, confront or expose it's like no and in reality but that's not fair that's what's that's what let me I'm, I'm trying to think of a better example what I know this is just personal what I know of Christianity is all other religions are out you're Muslim you're out you're Mormon you're from the devil you are deceived you're you're from the world you're a sinner right you're allowed to have that mentality in that kingdom. Right. But then in his kingdom, when we're exposing, well, maybe Christianity is a part of all this. Yeah. Now, all of a sudden, it's it's hard to hear. Right. right. Like meaning the exposure is 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 in and of ourselves. It's not a wrestling. Yeah. It's, it's an exposure of myself. It's not a. Um, Again, looking looking at the mindset of, of replacement, it would be like so. Then what are so then what are you saying? You're better. Like, well, no, that's an exposure of of my of my of myself of the. I don't know if that that makes sense, but it's like um. Think thinking those things and getting to a humble place to wonder if those things that I've thought are about myself. Yeah. It's a wrestling of myself, and so then it does get difficult because then when you're when you're let's say you're talk you know you're talking with someone that's going to be what is going to come up. So then so like let's say I was talking to Christian, and I start talking this way. So what what are you saying? I'm not going to make it. Well, no, I, I'm just exposing that you said Muslims weren't going to make it. Right. Like I'm I'm just I'm just I'm just exposing. I'm just exposing some things here and willing to be able to see what is under what is underground all this because at the end of the day if you operate with replacement then you're going to think whatever I'm saying is replacement. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or and it but it's not. It's not founded in that. We're talking about that we're talking about that the house. We're talking about both sides of the house. Right. But in order to be able to see those things we have to untangle from some of those things. And so those are the things that you might 
come come up against or be able to, or wrestle through when those things come up. And it's more of being able to just identify the reality and it's okay to identify the reality because we're after number one, the narrow road and to be a set apart people and yeah. recognizing that the masses are not going to fit on that narrow road. So then what is the narrow road? Right. And I mean, it's the same thing that we've talked about. It could be something else of, you know, powers and signs and wonder and where's the power of the church or how we've talked about um, you know, all, all of those things, and where has that gone? You know, I mean, it could be a lot along those lines as well. Should I continue to get into that? Or With what? Romans 11. Sure. So Romans 11, I, I want you guys to read it on your own time in addition to this, but this is one of those things that if you understand who Paul is and who he's not as a general context or a general foundation, then you can read something like Romans 11 that is being used by people to say they're out and we're in on the account of Paul, like as using Paul as evidence to serve their purpose. If we understand who he is, who he's not, what he's proclaimed to be, and what he's about, then we will read this and understand this differently. Okay? He even starts out and says, I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? May it never be. <laughs> so anybody who comes to you and says, no, they're out and we're in, Paul says, he has not rejected his people, may it never be. Because he says, for I too am an Israelite. Right? He doesn't say, for I am a Christian, <laughs> he says God has not rejected his people may it never be because I'm one of them right he goes beyond Israelite keep going I am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin where are we going Yeah. we're trying to get back to be pre- Divorce or pre-break, before the house broke, which is when the tribes were together. They ended up getting scattered, and that's where things get a little get wonky. But he's he's calling us out and bringing us back. And you've got Paul, who is also in a time post-divorce, post-scattering, and he's saying, "I am from the tribe of Benjamin." Yeah. He's he, the, who? What does he identify with? We're not crazy. Yeah. When I say, I mean, yes, we are, but I'm just saying, I'm not that crazy when I, you know, call out Issachar and, you know, uh, uh, Reuben. Oh, Reuben. Yeah. Right? Yeah, because we're, 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 we're going back to the original intent. Yes, the garden, but also recognizing what he was doing with his family. So it's just, anyways, keep going. God has not rejected his people whom he knew beforehand. So he just continues to reaffirm. He has not rejected his people. One more thing. Do it. No. <laughs> we haven't gotten into this, but when the house splits, right, the scattered people and, and, and the, 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 the north house uh, was all of the tribes except for Judah, some Levites, and Benjamin. Okay? So when Paul says this, He's actually saying, I, I identify with the house of Judah. Wow. So he's not just saying I'm part of, I'm part of the tribe. He's, he's, he, he, that's why he would say, 
for it never be that Yahweh would reject his people. I'm one of them. Just want to throw that out there because it's important because Benjamin is the younger one and he stayed with, with Judah. And so there's there's some things in there that we're going to get into when we get into our heritage for us to understand why Paul would even say these things. So we just we need to recognize, too, how he has he never denounced his heritage. Yeah. He never he Amen. never did. And he's not even identifying himself. That's why he calls himself an apostle, because he had to go out to the Gentiles. He's the he's the bridge. He's the one that says I'm an apostle, so I have to go out to the other house or the the um, the other tribes that scattered to make them not make them, but you for all intents and purposes have them look like where I came from. Mm -hmm. He was appointed just like Yeshua because of the house he came from because he knew mm -hmm. he had been trained. He understood those that scattered in the other tribes didn't necessarily know the law. Because they had been Babylonian times, they had been they weren't they were trained by different priests, and so it kind of got it just got muddy. But there was a house that did know, and Paul came from that house. Okay. Says, or do you not know what Scripture says about Elijah? How he pleads with God against Israel, Adonai, they have killed your prophets, they have destroyed your altars. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life. But what is the divine response to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So in the same way, also at this present time, there has come to be a remnant according to God's gracious choice. But if it is by grace, it is no longer by works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Okay, so he's connecting grace and works. You can't separate the two. What then? What Israel is seeking, it is not obtained, but the elect obtained it, and the rest were hardened. Just as it is written, going down to verse eight, and David says, "Let there be, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so they do not see and bend their back continually." I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? So he's he's addressing people who were trying to be grafted in in such a way, thinking that they would be able to have a position to boast. And claiming that the Jewish people fell away from God when in fact they didn't fall away, they just stumbled. Okay? So he said, they didn't fall, did they? May it never be. But by their false step, now this is interesting because he's, he's edifying them. I feel he's just like slapping whoever he's talking to in the face. Because <laughs> he's like, they didn't fall, they just stumbled. Okay? And by their stumbling, by their false yes. steps, salvation has come to the Gentiles to provoke Israel to jealousy. Yes. <laughs> so not only did they not fall, but yes, they had a, they stumbled. But by their stumbling, you were saved. Yeah. Yeah. To provoke jealousy, because there is end times, and there is a story, and there is a purpose for the house of Judah. And it still needs to come into fruition. Why do we have a role in the appointed feasts? Why? What are we prophesying? What are we pulling forward? At one point in our lives, we thought it was because the rapture was going to happen, and I would just everything would go away because I'm going to be in heaven. But you have a purpose. And your purpose is to provoke your elder brother to jealousy who stumbled, who actually made a way for you in the first place. So be humble, not arrogant, but provoke them to jealousy that you that you now live in the father's house. 
Now to what add to that, come? listen to this, because most people, right, would read this using Paul for their own their own purposes, would read this and say, well, they're the Jews, right, the people that were broken off are jealous of us. It's not it's not a jealousy of the Gentiles. What Paul was actually saying was he was he was on a mission to bring salvation to the Gentiles, to adopt them into the house. Okay? What he was saying that they were going to be provoked to jealousy to was how he was bringing, he as a Jew was bringing Gentiles into the house. He was saying, I'm, by all these Gentile followers that are getting grafted in, Israel's going to be jealous of what I'm doing and how I'm bringing them into the house. Not because I'm making them Jews. Right? Not because I'm biologically uh, converting them to Judaism, to, to Jewishness, but because by the spirit of adoption, I'm, tra I'm transforming these people and leading them into how to be in the Father's house. Because you have to remember, a lot of Jewish people, Jewish followers, were trying to impose on Gentiles, you have to be a Jew to have salvation. It was between... Paul and the Jews, not the Jews and us. Right? That's why he keeps saying, like, don't be boastful. Now, if their transgression leads to riches for the world, that's crazy. Right? Like, their, their shortcoming has made the world rich. Like, you, you, it's crazy. And their loss, riches for the Gentiles, then how much more their fullness... But I'm speaking to you who are Gentiles, insofar as I am, I am an emissary to the Gentiles. I spotlight my ministry. If, if somehow I might provoke to jealousy my own flesh and blood and save some of them. If, see, he's talking about himself. He's saying, if somehow I might provoke to jealousy my own flesh and blood, my people... So it's a jealousy of Paul and what he's doing with respect to the Gentiles. Okay? For if their rejection leads to the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the first fruit is holy, so is the whole batch of dough. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, being a wild olive, were grafted in among them and became a partaker of the root, of the olive tree with its richness do not boast against the branches but if you do boast it is not you who supports the root but the root supports you you will say then branches were broken off so that I so that I might be grafted in true enough they were broken off because of unbelief and you stand by faith do not be arrogant but fear for if God did not spare the natural branches neither will he spare you notice then the kindness and the severity of God so it's interesting. It it talks about branches being broken off, and I even want to. If you if you look into what the word broken means in this, it means bent to the side. So like I was talking about, if you actually graft a branch from one olive tree into another one, you don't break the branches off. You don't cut the branches off. It's it's actually to be bent to the side. 
So these, so the the Jewish branches were bent to the side to make room for us to be grafted in among them. Okay. And we can, you guys can continue diving into that about what it means to be grafted in. But this is a, this is one of those points of contention in the word that is so, uh, so prevalent as far as how it's understood that we're in and they're out. The replacement theology, the mindset of thinking that there's, it's a very black and white Greek way of thinking of they screwed up, they're out, and now we're in, right? And to be able to understand as a family that we've done our due diligence to remove ourselves and, and untwist that mindset out of our DNA as we get back to who we are. But at the same time, understanding that that is so intertwined in, in the mind of general Christianity that if you're having an interaction with somebody, you may get that projection on you. Right, so just being aware of that dynamic that you you could have nothing in you that's, you know, I'm going to tell you you're wrong, and I'm going to take the position that I'm right, and I'm going to be boastful, and I'm going to be arrogant, and you know, you're now you're following Judaism, and we're not under the law, and now you're under bondage and condemnation, and you can just see how it just spirals with all the stuff that we've been talking about. Okay. You guys keep reading and I'm like, oh my god. I feel like he's like being sarcastic in that next paragraph if you guys read it. Because he's talking about sparing, you know, he's basically saying like, whatever you sow, you'll reap. So if you think that he didn't spare them, then he's probably not going to spare you. If you're kind. You know, he's talking about the severity and the goodness of God, but then, you know, but basically like, other, otherwise you too will be cut off and they also, if they do not continue... I mean, he's, he's just basically like pointing out like whatever your belief system is. So it's just interesting that he's talking about this and even talking about and if you continue in kindness, if not being cut off and where replacement theology has taken us to such a high place where I paused when I was reading Second Thessalonians where it says that he put himself in the temple saying he was God is kind of where I was going with that where that, that mentality of that high place to be in a position to judge everything else because the church is the light, we are the ones, and everyone else is just, you know, being in that position to be able to operate that way. He's addressing that whole mindset right there in that next paragraph. Okay. So, so read Romans 11. And... This this will be a fun homework assignment. Read Revelations and the characteristics of the beast. Write down the characteristics of the beast and you tell me what it sounds like. <laughs> so headliner to chapter 10. We're in chapter 7. But does that make sense to just kind of take a step back, take a breather, see the bigger picture as we're wrestling this out? Because it can get very personalized. Here's why it's personalized. We were a part of that kingdom. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's the reality. It does need to be reconciled. Yeah. Yeah. We were a part of that structure. 
there's an aspect of that. So it does the, the wrestling is personal, but there is but it's it's unto something or it's on behalf of his story. It, it, you have to remember that when you're wrestling, it's as if you are getting your chapter inserted after John. One, two, three, John. Maybe John Hansen's number four. <laughs> right? Whatever. You insert your chapter because you're part of the story to be fulfilled. And so know that when that personal that personal wrestling comes, that that is what you're wrestling unto is his story. And his kingdom being established on this earth. I I have um, a word for um, for us tonight, and then we'll just kind of I think I'm handing this off to Missy, right? Just kind of shift into some things, and then we have the gender reveal. Um, I'm just making sure that I'm good on time because we do have people that are coming from Amber and Jason's family at 8:30, and so. Um, but I, I saw this actually, I, I don't even know what I was doing. I think it was on social media. This is going to be kind of hard to see, but I want us to hold on to something as we leave here because I know that the wrestling can be strong, um, because we're wrestling under his story. So it should be a pretty big wrestle, right? Yeah. So there's, there's the work, there's the, there's that wrestling that's happening. And so I want us to kind of hold on to this picture, and it really hit me when I heard this, so I'm hope, I hope that I can relay it correctly. But you guys won't be able to see it, but that piece of paper up there, Jalen, can you say what's on that? It's not necessarily our house, but it is a drawing of a house, okay? So it's, it's over there, and I want us to answer very, I'm not being like secreted, like, weird. I just very literally, I want us to picture something. Okay. This couch versus that house, which one is larger? Literally, like this house is off in the distance, and that's why it's like it's in the it's my neighbors, and so you're wink, you're like going like this, and you're trying to figure out what it is way over there, but it's a house. Which one is larger, this couch or that house? The house. The drawing of the house. Thank you, Dan. Oh, you said literally. Literally, which one? She meant literally. Yes, thank you. The couch is bigger than the house. Okay? From your perspective or your vantage point, that is larger. What's awesome is that you guys did answer. You know in your heart that that house is bigger than the couch. But from your vantage point and your perspective, off in the distance, that's a small house. That couch is huge. What I want us to hold on to is that there are things in our lives that we're crying out for, for God to be bigger in our lives. His size does not change, but where you're positioned does. And your vantage point is what makes the difference. So my, so the couch was one example. Anger. What are you sitting on? What are you sitting next to? Frustration, fear, um, uh, list some things. 
I know that this question has been asked because I know the youth has asked me, what am I clinging to? Dee had a crazy homework assignment asking people to, to answer, what are you clinging to? What are those things that you're clinging to that are so big in your life that is putting Yahweh in a perspective that he's not that big? So now fear is bigger than Yahweh. But we know in our heart that he's bigger. But it, it only can change with where you're sitting. We know theoretically that couch can fit in that house, theoretically. But to actually get what I'm sitting next to into that house, I'm going to have to pick it up. I'm going to have to carry it. I'm going to have to get close to that. And the cool thing is he never changed. He never got bigger because your prayers got bigger. He didn't, he didn't oh, you want, me to, you want me to get bigger in your life? Okay, I'm going to get bigger than that thing in your life. He's asking you to change your vantage point, change your perspective, and when you sit closer to that house, that house is going to be a whole lot bigger than that couch. And so the thing that you're next to is whatever, it's what I've said before, whatever your eyes are focused on is what becomes. Whatever you're sitting next to becomes the thing that's in your life. Whatever you're worshiping becomes the thing that, it, I mean, it becomes you. It's, it's, it's whatever you're focused on is what is what is. And so I want us to kind of just hold on to that word as we wrestle through this, because being in his presence is what's going to shift how we wrestle. I don't want us to get to struggle with certain I, I'm, I want us to wrestle, but I don't want us to wrestle ineffectively. I don't want us to be wrestling with fear when when we just need to shift vantage points or and we need to be just closer or, or in his presence. So I want us to I want us to just be aware too that even when we're talking about wrestling, it's not always so much the work of that wrestling, but it's just being able to like <sighs> taking that breath and being able to recognize what am I sitting next to? It goes back to that encounter that he had when he just had to look up. All Yahweh is saying is to look up and to be able to change our vantage point and our perspective will begin to change. And the things that we're wrestling with or the things that we're struggling with will become smaller when we see him as bigger. That's why he's a God that never changes. Because you have to change. He's asking you to shift seats. He's asking you to change your perspective so that he can show you some things with the things that you're with. I'm trying to think of more examples. I don't know why I'm bringing up fears. <laughs> Entitlement, pride, arrogance, huh? Busyness, um, escapism, escapism, uh, social media, judgment, <laughs> control, <laughs> gluttony, laziness. huh? Laziness. laziness. when he says, I need you to get up and walk, right? Why we're, you know, stay, I want to stay in my control. I want to, I want to stay in my, you know, maybe my um, anger or I said anger, 
uh, emotion or hurt. No, this hurt affords me something. This hurt is really big, and it comes in handy when I can, you know, if this is my hurt, right? Super comforting, cry, right? But then it's also like somebody approaches me, and it, I, it affords me something. So it's like, there's my hurt. And he's saying, put it down. But this is so big. My hurt, when I am focused on that, or offense, let me say offense. When I'm focused on offense, that is all I'm seeing. Yeah. And, and, and then we blame Yahweh for not being big enough to take away my offense. And he's like, just change your perspective, because I'm huge. But you're, you are, dramat- not dramatizing, but you're creating a, a God out of this thing that's serving you. And that's the thing that's so hard. It's like with deliverance, sometimes it's like, well, yeah. I want to be delivered from this thing, but what about the thing that affords you something? Right. You don't want to be delivered yeah. from the thing that's right. your comfy blanket. Yeah. Right. Nobody wants their pacifier to be taken away. Right. right? So just hold on to that word about the, sh- the vantage point and who he is in your life as we wrestle through some of these things. Amen. Amen? Yeah, that was really good. I, um, my heart is... Wanting us to leave just positioned with a heart of gratitude. There was a couple things that mom and dad said tonight um, that just made me think like the reason we can say thank you for going before us and paving a way is because if you guys had released about by the spirit of adoption, the Gentiles were led into the Father's house. And I look around and it's by the spirit of adoption that a family is welcomed into a place that releases us further into the true heritage that we should be walking in. Um, when you re- when you shared about the day will come, the day will not come until the until the rebellion starts. I almost can't even get it out. Like the rebellion has started yeah. because there was a family willing to position themselves to forerun a rebellion to turn and look back to say we're going to unveil the greatest lie that was ever told. So we just position our hearts in gratitude. Um, we didn't get trading floor cash at the beginning. So if you want to get that and be able to trade into the words that came tonight, I have that available. Um, but I also want to just take a moment to, uh, a quick moment, because we know more family is coming over. Um, Derek at the beginning had said to be the first ones to respond to the things that bring life. And as you look around this room, you see life. You see, we're about to tap into the next that's coming. We're about to unveil our next little baby that's coming into our family. It's constant life. It's pouring out more and more life. So I don't want to miss an opportunity tonight to be able to uh, have our our uh, little treasure box passed around for us to be able to give if that through uh, cash or through check. Um, also get out your phones and send a text to give uh, for your tithe tonight. Um, but let's move forward into tonight just with that heart's position of gratitude. Number one, that there's a, a heart's position to continue opening their home, preparing the way for us, and um, and diving into some very deep things to be able to release freedom in our lives and over our legacy. Yeah. So after we give, we'll pass the treasure box around, and then I just want everybody to put their chairs downstairs, and we'll get ready for the um, gender reveal. Thank you for listening to this message from Kingdom Heirs International. If you have received insight and revelation with this message, we invite you to claim that revelation by trading on the trading floor with this ministry. 
You can do that at kingdomairsflag.org. Thank you.